Welcome to the Western Revolution Show, a show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corbrew. What's good, revolutionaries? I hope everybody is doing well. This week is coming along, and we're doing our thing. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a number of good brothers at the Black Men Excel Summit in West Palm Beach. And the first night I was there, we had the Black Men Excel Summit Awards. Got to meet Tommy Smith, got to listen to the incomparable T.D. Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes, and got to listen to Ken Chenault. And those of you who don't know who Ken Chenault is, you need to do your history. Uh, this brother has been the CEO of American Express for as long as I can remember. And what Ken Chenault has talked about over the years is that we need to make sure that we have a pipeline of young people of color who are coming in and have the ability to walk into CEO, CEO, CDO positions um, in various organizations across the country. But with his leaving and his retirement from American Express, there are now only three people of color who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. That is problematic. So today we're going to sit and have a conversation to figure out how do we as black men, as men of color, as people of color, figure out what it means for us to break the proverbial glass ceiling and to be able to get into these places where we can not only grow professionally but financially. We talk about the income disparities that we're seeing across the country where the average household for people of color, particularly African-Americans, is about $11,000. The savings is about $11,000 compared to almost $120,000 for our white counterparts. This is problematic. How do we change this disparity? We need to make sure that we're in spaces that provide us with the financial vehicles to move in, to move into spaces that we haven't moved in before. So to help me have this conversation is my dear friend and frat brother, Marvin Chambers, the CEO of Marvin Chambers Coaching, coach extraordinaire, leadership, leadership coach to the stars. Marvin, what's happening to you, brother? Dr. Corporal, are we, are we Chuck today or are we Dr. Corporal? Man, you know, it's whatever you want to be, dear brother. <laughs> you, know, you know me back in the day as Chuck, so let, let's get it. <laughs> What's up with you? Great day. My great day, my brother. Great day. I appreciate having you on the show, man. It means a lot. And uh, just want to know, Marvin and I have been friends for... Uh, almost 30 years now, brother. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. You I know, got the gray hairs to prove it. Man, let me tell you, this gray and this beard, brother, you know, luckily, <laughs> luckily the, the gray looks pretty good. But Marvin, let's get into the show, man. It's always going to go by pretty fast. Let me ask you this first question, brother. What's your revolution? Oh, wow. My revolution. My, my revolution is really all about helping uh, leaders, especially leaders of color, really define their voice and maximize their superpowers so that they could really make the maximum contributions that they want to their organizations, to their families, to their communities. Man, so that's I... what I spend my time on. That's my passion. Right. Um, I leverage my experiences as a human resource executive who's been in the room, who's communicated and be amongst C-suite executives and made those decisions and helped people figure out how to navigate so they, they can really have the maximum impact they want to have. Right, right. And as I said in my uh, in my diatribe before you came on the show, brother, there are only three males of color who are CEO of Fortune 500 companies. After uh, Brother Ken Chenault retired from American Express, three. And we have to try to figure out how do we break that glass ceiling? How do we get in these spaces? But we'll get into that in a second, brother. But what I heard from your statement is that you teach people, you know, how to really elucidate their superpowers. What does that mean? you know, illuminate, bring out their superpowers? Well, I, I, what it, Chuck, what it really starts with, even before you get to the, the superpower piece, because it's, it's a one-two punch, they really have to really understand their voice. So really understand what's my world do? What's my point of view on what leadership looks like? What is my point of view around what success looks like in the workplace? How do you develop? How do you grow? 
how do you nurture and make organizations better than what they are today? You have to have a point of view around that. Right. And often we really don't. We've learned from people. We have these kind of unconscious biases. We have these beliefs that we grew up with that we just accepted. And we've never really thought about what does it mean for me. And then if you understand that voice and you embrace it, then it's really all about just understanding what are your strengths? What do you do better than anybody else in the world? What is those things that you can just do gracefully without even thinking about and just wonder why others can't do it just as gracefully? Right. You bring those two together, and you couple that with an understanding of what your promise is and your brand. It's just powerful. You can execute. You can do. You can do extraordinary things. Right, right. And you say that 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 one-two punch of your voice, your voice. You know, and I know we're going off script, but you just you just have laid it out so so eloquently very early. Why is it so hard for many of us to find our voice, particularly in and and, and particularly for men of color, to really find our voice? Because some, for me, my thought is is that we've been stifled, right? That voice has been mm. demurred. So how do we find that voice to really be assertive? And in those leadership positions or be able to ascend into those leadership positions by using our real voice? That's an interesting question because I was actually asked this question today by a University of Florida student who's doing a paper on corporate social responsibility and ethics. And what it really boils down to is first really understanding who are the right role models that we really want to look at, mm. Right. Because what we have a tendency to do is we look at the individuals that have been so-called successful, and that's you know, typically who has the power to influence the money, um, and then we try to emulate those things. But often those same individuals, not always, but often they don't have the character. So right. they may rise, but they can't really necessarily sustain it. Um, so we're sometimes looking in the wrong places. Uh, so that's the first thing. It's really getting the right role models, the people that we look at that not only have the competence and the capability and the influence, but also have the character. Right. And then what I think is really important for us, especially as black men, we have a certain intuition that we have. We have to learn to follow that. Mm. Right. Really follow. What is that thing that whisper in our voices says? This is our true north. This is the way we want to go out things about things, and take the time. And this is what's really important in order to get there. Take the time to reflect on our experiences. Reflect on what we see happen to others, right? Because through that reflection and that contemplation is where we can really discover what makes sense to us. Right. But if we're always just ripping and we're just always running, and we're always chasing and never take the time to really reflect in terms of what do we want? Why do we want it? What do we think is the best way of going about getting it? You, you can't get to your voice. Right, brother. And, and, and that's an interesting piece because, you know, particularly when you're an entrepreneur and you're a solopreneur, oftentimes mm -hmm. you are ripping, you are running, you're doing everything, you know, yeah. from operations to programming to policy advocacy, all of the things. And so it's interesting. You're saying that stop. Spend some time. You, stop, Chuck. you have to stop. And this is why, because I've worked with some of those folks and I've been there doing it myself before. And what happens when you're in that ripping and that running mode is you're chasing. You're chasing a dollar. So you chase an opportunity. Is that the right opportunity? Is that the opportunity aligned with your skill set? Is that an opportunity aligned with your passion? Is that an opportunity aligned with your ideals? Do you know that you can deliver against that? And do you want to deliver against that? We don't ask those questions. We go, this is a dollar. I think I can get it pretty easy. Let me chase after it. And as we keep doing that, it takes us away from our true calling, and then we feel frazzled and we're misaligned. Right. Because we are, because we're all over the place trying to chase something that's not aligned with what we really want. And in that, are you saying that if you, if you chase something that's outside of your passion, outside of your alignment, do you lose your voice? Is that, is that one way that your voice is demure because you're not in you alignment? You won't even find it because you're, you're constantly chasing. You've never taken the opportunity to reflect on what I really want. The first thing that I ask folks that are entrepreneurs is who is your ideal client? I want you to explain everything. You give them a face and a name. His name is Bob. <laughs> Where does Bob work? Where does Bob live? What does Bob like to eat? What does he like to do in his spare time? What does he read? 
How much money does Bob make? What does he do with his money? If you can't answer those questions, you don't really understand your ideal client, and you may be chasing things that aren't aligned with what you really want. Right, right. That's the reflection piece that needs to come into place. We just go, we've got a business. This is what I do. This is my service. I think it applies to everyone. When you do that, you don't, you're not really grounded. Right, right. And Marvin, it's interesting, you know, and I'm, I'm loving the dialogue that we're having. And I'm thinking about as, as you're talking, why I do this show. And the people who I want this, who I want the information to get out to. And I had to do this same thing, when it, especially when it comes to this show. Who did I want to hear? Who were the men that I wanted to talk to? Who were the, mm-hmm. the, the, their partners that I wanted them to hear that? We had to, you know, we did this whole matrix of, like you said, of people that we wanted this information to get out to. And then we realized in more talking, there was another demographic of people that really, really needed this. And they were actually men 25 to 40 instead of men 35 to 55. And mm. I be- began hearing from young brothers to say, you know what? We need this mentorship. We need to hear from brothers like you and myself what's going on. How do we navigate the world? And in this space, Marvin, it's, it's interesting because quietly, Marvin is my leadership coach, right? So I want everybody to know that. Quietly, not even quietly in this aspect, Marvin, this is where my voice is. This is where I feel the most comfortable. This is the best hour of my week. And you can tell, hopefully, that I have found my voice, at least in this space and what I do. So it's really interesting, Absolutely. really interesting hearing you say that. Um, I was reading a Harvard Business Review article this morning um, and really talking about, you know, I was looking up, just doing research about how do we break this glass ceiling. And it was a really interesting statistic that came out is that looking at leadership, CEO, COO, um, C-suite positions, and then the ratio of, of workers to um, leadership positions by race and gender. And mm-hmm. you are, I'm sure you already know the statistics that white men were well above the ratio of one, right? Sure. But everyone else was below, right? And so it was saying that we're not, and particularly black men and, and, and other people of color, are not in these leadership positions. Why is this happening? What, what, what am I missing? What, what, what are the variables out there that might be confronting us that we're not getting there? And it was interesting. The commentary was like black folks are just not as well or not as competent as others. So you know that pissed me off. Uh, well, we know that that's, that's just not true. Right. So I think, you know, this is the way to look at If you have a house, right, it's your house, it's your home. You structure your house, your home, everything's where you want to lay it out, how you want to weigh it out, you do what you want to do the way you want to do it, right? It's built for your comfort. It's built to last, to allow you to endure and allow you to thrive and you to be successful, right? right? You've built that infrastructure to serve you. Then there are others that are now becoming more part of that infrastructure, and they want their peace, right? And what happens is most organizations, especially for-profit organizations, have a scarcity mentality, right, versus an abundance mentality. So if your, your fundamental belief in the way profit in profit organizations itself is, I need to take and get as much as I can in order for me to grow, that means someone else has to lose. Right. If you have that mindset, then it's like I have to create this infrastructure that works for me, and anything that challenges that, I have to somehow destroy in some way so that they can't get a piece because I can't allow them to have too much because that means I will shrink. Right. So if it's having an abundance mentality, which says there's enough for everyone, then you would, if you have that mindset, you create a totally different infrastructure, right? So that is human nature. I won't say where, but I worked with, <laughs> I was an executive in a company that most of the executive team was women. And the reality is that same construct existed. Really? Yeah. So it, it, it's a, it's an issue of the human nature as being human beings and the desire to protect and preserve what we have, especially in a society that's capitalistic oriented, that are. it's about I have to get, in order, and, and if I get, that means you can't. Right. Right. So that's a, that's a basic human mentality. So I think part of we look at it that way, that it's just a part of humanity, it allows us as individuals and as black men, for example, to maybe shift and look at it differently. 
So Instead how? of looking at it in terms of, which is quite frankly exhausting, and I'm going to be totally honest, it was a way that, you know, several years ago I looked at it, and it was actually absolutely exhausting. Right. I was, I was successful, but I was burning out. And, you know, and some of those natural mentalities that you hear pick in, like, oh, angry black guy, all those kind of things, right? Because if you have that belief system that, oh, I have to try 20 million times as hard as the next guy in order to get it, that there's only a certain amount to go around, that I have to fight and scrape just so they think that I'm competent. So if you have that mindset and that belief system, it drives a certain level of behavior and emotion within you that really keeps you from being the best version of yourself. Right, right. right. It's part of your belief system. So part of it is the way the design is of human nature that, you know, that's there, then part of all these constructs and the belief system that we have orchestrated in order to get there, and in some ways those, those belief systems are not serving us. Right, exactly. So we need to think about how we can shift our belief systems to something that actually serves us. Exactly, exactly. So moving from the problem, what's the solution? How do we change those belief systems? Because it's going to be harder to change the mindset of the people who are in power to change from, you know, I need to, this very selfish to more so this abundance mindset. So how do we change our mindset, our mindset individually to navigate the spaces so we can move into leadership opportunities? There, that, that's a 20-hour that's a conversation, <laughs> but maybe this will help, right? And maybe your listeners out there, if you're listening, you got a sheet of paper, I would like you to write this down, right? So wherever you are and you think you have certain goals that you have for yourself, right, whether they're around your career, your profession, um, your health, your romance, whatever the case may be, you have those goals, right? I want you to really consciously think about what do I believe about achieving that? What do I really believe? And really think about that because typically our belief systems um, that are naturally disablers of our success fall into four categories. One is what I call a gremlin. That's <laughs> our inner voice, right? That's right. that voice within us, and we're back, man, and we're macho, but we all have it that says in some way we're not good enough. Right. My gremlin was, you know, I'm not talented enough, right? It doesn't matter if I got a promotion, I'm not talented enough. So we have to think about what, what are those gremlins that we have? What are the assumptions that we naturally present, right? So we know that the statistics say that there are more, you know, Caucasian male in senior positions, et cetera. So if we're in an organization and we come in and we make an assumption that because of that we can't get there, we just limit ourselves. So we need to check our assumptions, which is hard because there are some facts to back it up, but just because there are some facts to back it up, doesn't that doesn't mean right. that's what it needs to be for you. Right. Okay, number two. Number three is we have to watch our stories and our interpretations of the world around us, right? So if we walk into a room and it gets quiet for a second, we naturally assume in the executive room that, oh, they're looking at me. Oh, they're thinking that I'm not good enough, I don't belong here, right? Is that the case? They may have looked at you because you walked in the room, right? <laughs> <laughs> Something as simple in. as that. So we have all these assumptions that we naturally build in. And then the fourth is around this notion of limiting beliefs, which are the societal beliefs that as black men we have accepted, things that we have to try twice as hard, that a penny saved is a penny earned, you know, that in order to get ahead, you know, you gotta do, you gotta get some dirt on you. It's all these beliefs that aren't necessarily true that we have accepted as true that can limit us, right? So if we think that in order to get, you know, get to the next level, we have to do something that's not exactly aligned with our values, of course we're not gonna do it. Of course that's gonna limit us, right? So we need to really challenge our belief system. That's the first thing that we can do. So, by, so what I like people to do is think about their goals, think about those, core, uh, those, those four categories of beliefs, and think, what do these beliefs serve me and which ones don't? And if they don't serve you, what could be an alternative thought? And naturally, you may not believe it at first, but what I want to challenge you, all your listeners to do is just try it for three weeks. Try on a new belief. 
even if you don't believe it right away, try that new belief and see how you behave differently. Marvin, give an example. I just want people just give an example of a belief or a limiting belief, right? So give me one, a, a new belief and a limiting belief. A, a perfect example. I kind of alluded to it. I used to believe for years it was something that was taught by my, my, my dad that in order for you to be a success son as a black man, you're going to have to try five, ten times as hard. They got two degrees, you got to get ten. They get five hours, you got to work 20, right? So if you have that belief system, so your belief systems impact your emotions and your feelings, which in turn impact your behavior, okay? So if your belief system is I got to try 10 times as hard, and you and that's how you live, and when you get in the room with these folks, what is going to be your feelings about them if you, have, if you feel like you have to try 10 times as hard? It creates a sense of frustration, anger, resentment, all those things, which in, 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 in subtle ways, because we're not consciously thinking about it. That's why I want to bring it to the consciousness, right? Then that impacts our behavior. Right. And now we're cautious, right? We're scared to share information, right? Um, we're not as open as we should be. Instead of us going after work to the cocktail hour and spending the time, we're like, I can't do it. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do. I don't want to spend any more time there because I'm afraid in some way that they're going to hurt me. Right? Right. All those thought processes come up, which don't help us because now we're not networking. We're not as connected as we need to be. We're not as open. We don't share information and we don't share ourselves. I mean, I think before I shared an exam, another example with you where I was an executive in a company. And people like you knew I was supposed to be a hot shot executive. They, people like, oh, my God, he, he's going to change everything. Right? He's going to kick us all out. And then there was this other group that was going, you know what? We just think he, this is just a stepping stone for him. It's not even going to be here long. Look, he hasn't even put any pictures up in the wall. Pictures. So my boss talks to me. Marvin, put some pictures up. I listen. I'm like, I'm brought here to get some work done, to change some things, <laughs> get some strategies in place, improve right. the organization, drive some productivity. Right? And I was able to do some of that, but she kept saying, put the pictures up. I had to really stop and think, right? is it going to hurt me to put pictures up on the wall? I was making it a principle-based issue around, around pictures, right? I shouldn't have to put pictures up if I don't want to. That's limiting me. I put pictures up on the wall. It didn't impact my value system, okay? People started to talk to me about my family and my son and what did he do? And, you know, I started talking about coaching in baseball and sports he was playing, how well he was doing in school. It made me more relatable. Right. He began an opportunity to see the human side of me, not just the objective, not the person who put together the vision, the strategies, and the tactics, and was focused on execution. It was someone that was human, that had the same thoughts and feelings and fears and aspirations that they do. And similar and values. asking them about their family right. and their children, Right. Seeing how it all links together if we shift our belief system. Right, right, exactly. Marvin, our, our time is coming short, brother, um, and I appreciate all of this information, that, and it's particularly because you've given our listeners right concrete information about how they can sit there with a piece of paper and write down their limiting beliefs. They can. What are their gremlins? What are their assumptions? Um, you've written an ebook, right? Give me a, 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 a short blurb, and I know it's a part of the conversation, but what do you want people to take away from that ebook? Right? I've got it now. I've got Marvin Chambers coaching ebook. What do you want them to take away from that? What I want them to take away, first of all, foremost, Chuck, is I want them to take the time to think about their story, think about their journey, and reflect on that journey to get a real sense of what am I great at? What are my superpowers? What have been my triumphs? What have been my disasters? What did I learn from all of those things? Because at the end of the day, they're all of opportunities. And how do you take all of those opportunities and really create an impactful place in the world for yourself? So the name of the book is Your Manifesto for Growth, Leading Through Your Truth. It goes through my kind of my six principles of philosophy around growth. And um, so I'm excited about it. I'm excited about um, it too, brother. It was a great it's, it's read last night. It's a micro book for all those out there. So that that's the, the new way of thinking of things. Instead of these long 300-page books, it's only 30 pages. But it's 30 impactful pages that are about inspiration and then actions you can take and, and 
and exercises that can actually move you toward your journey, right. move you toward your goals. Right. Marvin, last question for you, brother, before we have to go. You know, thinking about as people go on the job search, right, they're on the job market, and some for us, you know, are on the job market for the first time. Mm. Why is it so important to have someone like you in their corner as they're going through the job search? Great question. For two reasons. First, in terms of the search piece itself, it's hard. It's challenging. It's competitive. So you need someone as a sounding board to help you think through your search strategy. But along the way, you're going to have to test certain things. It's not going to be a straight line. Um, you're going to have to kind of use what I call design thinking principles of testing certain things, trying different things, falling, escaping your knees, and getting back up again. As a coach, helping you stay encouraged, stay inspired, stay focused on your direction, holding you accountable to actually continue to strive and execute against the actions you commit to because ultimately that's going to get you where you need to be. And then the other side of it, when you get the opportunity, because you will, that first 100 days on that new opportunity is just so important. So helping you put together that 100-day plan so that you show up the way you need to so you can have that fast start and impact that you want. Right. And that's key. Uh, you know, getting in, front of, getting in front of recruiters, getting in front of hiring managers, it's different now. It's 2018. Sometimes you got to go through applicant tracking systems. You got to go through a, a, a whole different perspective, a whole different paradigm, uh, just to get in front of people. And I think having a coach, right, is so important so you can learn those nuances that you can be successful. And, and I think that's key. And that was one of the reasons why I was like, we need to bring Marvin, we need to bring Marvin Chambers on the, the leadership coach to the stars to really, really, to re the really, really, Talk, to really, really talk about, you know, how do we make sure that we, as men of color, have the opportunities to get in front of people, right? What do we need to do to get over those gremlins, to make new assumptions, right, to change our beliefs? And so, dear brother, I, I just appreciate the time, and I wish you good luck. I know this is the launch of Marvin Chambers Coaching. If you need to see what's got going on, where can we find you, Marvin? You can get me out there. I just launched a new website, MarvinChambers.com. Also, folks, I don't mind emails. You can hit me at Marvin at MarvinChambers.com as well. Brother, I appreciate your time, man. Y'all been listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corprew, my guest leadership coach to the stars, Marvin Chambers. On the other side, New Orleans native Michael Ruffin will be here with me. We'll see you. Welcome back to the What's Your Revolution show. I want to thank my guest, Marvin Chambers from Marvin Chambers Coaching, leadership coach to the stars. Man, that brother, is he, he dropped some knowledge. Make sure to get a chance check out the show at uh, soundcloud.com backslash What's Your Revolution once we get it up sometime this week. Glad to have my man, Jazzo, back behind the board with me. It seems like my family is with me. We're missing Rachel. But joining me to extend this conversation about Brothers Breaking the Glass Ceiling is my man, my man, New Orleans native public school product here in New Orleans. Where'd you go to school, brother? Oh, man, I started out at, um, which is funny, Frederick Junior, uh, uh, not Frederick, uh, Gregory Junior High. Gregory Junior Gregory High. Gregory Junior High, Junior High School. Then right. after that, I went to Kennedy. I went to John F. Kennedy after that. Um, then had a, a stint at Kennedy for about a year and a half. And before you know it, I ended up at Frederick Douglass on St. Claude in the Night Ward. So, gotcha. yeah, I'm a public school product man, born and raised in New Orleans. And, look, I'm still here. You ain't lying. <laughs> I'm still I, here. I need to tell the people your name. Man. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm you not going anywhere. Michael Ruffin. Michael J. Ruffin. Michael J. Ruffin. My mama raised me. This is my city. I'm here. You know what I'm saying? Quietly, everybody need to know this, right? <laughs> you was a hoop god. Yeah. Back in the day. I won't say a hoop god. Man, I, I would say more like I, I just had a... I had a nice little jump shot. I, I, I grew up right here on, on Stallings Park, man, where I honed my skills. You know, I that's the biggie you. line right there. So that park <laughs> made me tough, man. Right. Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. You, you had to be a. You had you to had, be there. You had to be there. You had to have a, you know, something in your heart to be able to play out there on the Come on, brother. Morning. Look, look. You was a hoop guy because <laughs> I went to the Nike exhibit over at Beat Mike. Oh, at, at we Beep, not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> at Beat Mike's spot doing the All-Star. Shout out to Beat Mike you for know that, what I'm man. Saying? That and I'm walking past. I'm like, wait a minute. Hold up. I know this cat. That's rough. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That was, hey man, that was, um, man, once again, shout out to B Mike and Studio B and his entire team, man. It was all love, man. And, um, it was a good experience, man. I had yeah. no idea what was happening. I had no idea it would be 12 feet, 10 foot high, however big it is. 
Um, I just was blown away. I never had a self-portrait of myself. Right. Um, B Mike, I'm still trying to get that whole <laughs> I life down for me. You, to just, you had that 12 foot in your house, too, yeah, brother. I, you, I, look, I got 12 foot ceilings in my home. I wouldn't <laughs> mind, you know, putting that in my living room. Like, it's kind of cool. But, you know, you know, some people may say something about that. Right. But it's love. Right. But it's interesting that you say that, Ruff. Um, um, that you got 12 foot ceilings, man. That means you've had to put some work in. A lot of work. <laughs> because 12 foot ceilings here in New Orleans means a lot. That's cachet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know. I, I got the standard. Eight that, foot, I got the standard eight foot ceilings in my yeah, crib. You know, and look, when you, when you got 12 foot ceilings, 15 foot ceilings, like, you look up. You yeah, look you up look. every day, like, there's still more to be done. You right. know what I mean? Oh, whether I see, I, I whether you, you got a six foot ceiling, an eight, a 10, 12, 20, man, there's still, there's still more work to be done out here, man. There's a lot that takes place, uh, within our city, within our community, within ourselves, too. Right. Especially, uh, being a young African American professional, uh, whatever your profession is, you know. It's tough. Right. No doubt. And we're going to get into that, brother. But yeah. I got to ask you the question, man. Okay. You know you know what the question What's is. What's the question is? You know, the question is, what's your revolution? <laughs> oh, man. My, my revolution is um, probably threefold. Um, I would say one is to make my mom proud. Right. My mom is um, a single parent. I want to say had me at 17. Uh, by the time she was 23, uh, three kids uh, with a GED level education. Right. Um, but she worked hard. She worked really, really hard. Still works hard today. Um, works overnight at Walmart. So one is to make her proud. Right. Um, two is, is this, this motto I believe in is to do good, do well. And that's something about with myself, right? Um, not about the money, not about what you do for a living, but like every day trying to do good, right? And knowing that the good that you sow, uh, it'll return. Right. At some point in your life, you will, you will be fortunate enough to do well. Right. And your children would do well and your children's children would do well. And then third, man, is just look, it's just about um, giving back, man. You know, I'm from I'm from the seven ward. Um, I went to school in the ninth ward. Um, I was fortunate enough, very fortunate. And I never take this for granted to get a basketball scholarship at Xavier versus Louisiana. Right. Which I feel is the best school in the country, not to knock any other school around the world. Answer, brother. But that school, man, um, I was I was a rough ashlaw, as we call it. <laughs> you know, and, and it molded me. You know what I mean? It kind of knocked off my rough edges. Um, and I, I got the chance to meet some lot of great people. Um, and you don't have my challenges there, you know. I right. think we all do. You know, we man, and do. I think it's about, you know, owning your truth too. Because when I walked on Xavier's campus, man, um, uh, and I'm comfortable saying this now, but my reading comprehension skill was that of a ninth grader. Wow. But I'm a freshman in college. Right. Right. So Tell I say, the story, so I'm, I'm a public school product, man, through and through. And, and, you know, I play ball, you know, I could knock down a jump shot, you know, don't cause any trouble. Put my headphones on the head, listen to my, my little, little Wayne Lil album, Wayne, whatever it was. Louisiana, hot, bro. Hot boys or whatever. I didn't cause any problems, <laughs> you know, teach like, oh, he's good. Let him, let him through. Right. But when I got to Xavier, man, I had, I had my challenges. You know what I mean? And, um, I never forget a professor said, expound, enunciate. I can't understand what you're saying because New Orleans people, people who are from New Orleans in this culture, we have a very, we have a very, very deep accent when we speak. Say right, bro. Say, bruh, say, baby, love. I let me love. You, you know, know what I mean? And so I had to work through those things, right? And it was the people. It was a lot of great people that took care of me, a lot of great people. I mean, men, women, white, black, Asian, it doesn't matter. Like, there was people who constantly invested in me. Um, I never took it for granted. Somehow, man, um, I got a Xavier. And right. before you know it, I was like, hey, if I can get through this first semester. I can do it. I can get through the second one. Right. I can get through the first year. I get you the second year. Now, by the time I got to a junior year, I was like, hey, <laughs> I got <laughs> I got this. We're going to get this degree. We're right. going to get it. No doubt. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, dear brother. Mm -hmm. um, supports. And yeah. I appreciate the vulnerability. I did my vlog this morning about vulnerability is the new sexy, right? And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. part of your story was saying, right, you yeah. went to college with a ninth grade reading level. Yeah. Comprehension, right? Mm -hmm. And so graduate from Xavier, right? And right. We, and we're gonna put that in we're gonna put that on the ground floor. Most right? definitely. Ninth grade reading level. Mm -hmm. You have been you have been able to ascend. Hmm. Right? How old are you? Uh I just turned thirty one, man. You just I just turned, turned thirty one. Man, I don't remember that. <laughs> I just turned thirty one. Let, let me tell you, thirty one. Yeah. That was that was sixteen years ago. Oh wow. Well, Charles, you like my big homie. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. On. But here's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. As we talk about how brothers can break the glass ceiling, right? Yeah. Knowing you got out of school, what what had to happen for you to get to the different spaces that you have been able to ascend to as mm. a black man in the, in a professional arena? What Ooh, had to happen? It's getting hot. This is the truth. Failure. Tell the story. Failure. I failed a lot. I had to fail. I failed a lot, and I had to be humbled a lot. Right. I want to say when I was coming out of Xavier, um, I was offered an opportunity. I won't get into specifics of where it was. Um, but 
due to a few discretions on my end, integrity, character, I had to resign from that employer. Right. Right. And the most humbling experience was going back to Xavier University and going to rest in peace, uh, Chief Dwayne Carkham and uh, Joseph Dean Bird, uh, one of my alpha brothers, and say, hey, I need a job. And I went work campus police on Xavier University's what? campus right after I just walked across the stage and got a degree. And I'm I'm riding the campus police unit at, from 11 p.m. until 7 a.m. And trying to tell students where to go, you can't be here. And these at one point in time were my peers. Wow. Humbling experience. Right. So right? You, you you basically said you got a job. Uh-huh. Messed up. Right. Messed up. Wasn't, and had to go back home. I had to go back home. I had to go back home. Like, packed up my bags, packed up my car, drove back to New Orleans, which was a 10-hour drive. What? And went on my mother's sofa and went to Xavier and said, hey, I need a job. I don't right. care what it pays. I just need something to I need some money in my so pocket. Failure. 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 Fail early, fail often, fail fast. And don't be fail, fail, fail. So wait a minute. And, and I'm, I'm hearing this concept a lot now, right? Mm-hmm. Fail fast. Fail fast. Fail fast. And so I'm, I, I'm out there, right? I'm out mm-hmm. there and I'm, I'm trying this new product. And so for yeah. some of us, you're like, this is my product. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this ain't a failure. I'm just, I just got to wrap around and do something yeah. different. You're saying fail fast. Fail and get on with it. Get, and get on with it. Like fail and, and pick it. Pick up your bags and, and like, okay, I'm going to do the next thing. Right. Because what happened was when I failed, right, I think that was that was failure number one. Failure number two was like, okay, I'm on Xavier's campus and I'm doing this and I'm not humble enough. Oh, this is an easy job. Oh, this is cool. I just lock up the doors. But I'm a, I'm a public safety official. My job is to protect and serve. You know, as later hindsight, things kicked right. in. But back then, I, all I saw was a, a, a paycheck. To put some money in my pocket, right? And I'm doing a job how I want to do it. And finally, I said, okay, end up being accepted to a graduate school program at UNO. The executive MBA program at 23 years old. 23. So, so wait a minute. Hold up, bro. Hold up. Hold, hold up, right? <laughs> I skipped the line. I, <laughs> I skipped the line. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold up. So ninth grade reading level when you get to Xavier, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to keep going through this timeline. Got a degree, a degree in accounting too, by the right. way. Right. A degree in accounting. Yeah. So well, you, you, I do numbers. Right. <laughs> exactly. Get to your first job. Right. Uh huh. Fail. Fail. Come police officer. Yep. But then you just told me that you didn't do it really well. Right. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm skipping the spot. Charles, you're really good because you helped me really think about this. You so know what I'm saying? I had two jobs. So overnight was Xavier Campus Police. During the daytime, I worked at the public defender's office as a staff investigator. I thought I wanted to, you know, become a lawyer, judge something, fight the good fight and try to get a hold of this criminal justice system. And I'm running around doing night investigations. Did you say over. sister or system? System. Criminal okay. justice system. <laughs> trying to trying to figure out this criminal justice system. And I'm I've seen a couple guys um, that I grew up with walk through those doors, come through those chains with, you know, with the orange jump. So it kind of it hit home to me. And I was like, OK, I think I want to. I think I want to do that. I think I want to be a lawyer. I think right. I want to try to serve. I think I want to try to help guys who look like me, who are from where I'm from, who talk like I talk, who who, who represent me and my community, right? And then, um, you know, um, more discretions on my end, and uh, <laughs> you know, I had to I had to leave that job. Had to leave that job. I had to leave mm. that job. And then mm. because, uh, you know, you know, I decided I'm in grad school and talked my way into an executive MBA program at UNO. And right. at 23, you at, graduated. At, no, I, I walked in the program at 23. Right. I graduated at 25. Right. right. It was a year and a half. So I worked Monday through Friday and I was in school all day, Saturday and Sunday from eight to five. And it, I didn't do nothing but just work in school. Right. And I'll, I'll get to that piece later. No, but, it's all good. Brother. Um, and so I'm working public defense during the daytime. I'm campus police at nighttime. And, you know just barely doing what I'm supposed to do. And I said, well, okay, I'm a quick campus police. Thank you, chief. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. But I got accepted to a graduate school program. So I'm getting through my first semester and then boom, fell again. They called me into the office and said, Hey, um, you know, the, you know, to say, well, we're having some issues with you. And I was like, Oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll clean you it up. You still had New Orleans in you, bro. Uh, you know, I did. Come on. <laughs> you, know <what> <laughs> you know, you still had some New Orleans in you, bro. Come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> I still had it in me. You know, taking shortcuts, right? Right. Trying, taking shortcuts. Um, not really doing everything as Tell tight. Tell the story. Tell not the really, story. Not really going into detail of my memos, not really being conscious about what I'm writing and how I'm writing and what, like, my work product represents me, right? My work product represents me and not really embodying that. And what I write down and what I say and how I communicate and what I said I'm going to do wasn't really adding up. And so they was like, we have to let you go. So your values weren't aligned. My values weren't aligned. You said, this is what I want to do, but I'm not, I'm not really putting the full I'm not, effort in. I'm not putting the full effort in, man. And then here I am now. 
I got a Siberian Husky, and everybody who knows me had a beautiful Siberian Husky by the name of Muffin Ruffin, and we did everything together. <laughs> I know Muffin, you. I, I'm, Muffin, I'm not a Muffin Ruffin. Man, look, I'm Muffin Ruffin and Mike Ruffin was a thing. Okay, <laughs> we used to tell magazine and buy you say John up. It was a thing. Really? It Muffin. was a thing, man. And and here I am. I have a Siberian Husky who's probably three, four months old. Raised him since he was six weeks old. Groomed, like took care of him. He was my best friend, and I have like maybe a negative bank account balance. I'm staying at some apartments. won't see exactly where. And I got a dog and I have like no money. And I got like, I just got this car note, this black Ultima that I have now. I still drive it to this day. It ain't got the best payment history on it, but it's paid for and it's mine now. Right. I'm just, you know, vulnerability is a strength, man. I'm just Vulnerability is the new sexy, bro. This is new sexy, bro. (laughs) And it's paid for now though. Right. And uh, I got this car note. I'm behind on my rent and I got evicted. Go back on my mom, my mom's couch. Man, you got a story to tell, bro. Go back on my mom's couch with me and my dog out in Kenner. Again, my mom works overnight at Walmart. She still does. She still works overnight at Walmart. I get up at 4 a.m. to call her on a lunch break and talk to her. Wow. That is how I start my day. Right. Right? So, like, people say, why you get up so early? Uh, I'm on the ground. I ain't really on the ground. You're talking, talking to, to my mom. mom. Talking to my mom. Talking to your mom. Because when I talk to my mom, that feeds the hunger. Right. That feeds the beast. So now I can go run five miles. I can go lift some weights. I can go shoot some jump shots on the park. So when I walk in the office, I'm blowing and going, not because like I'm just cut like that. I've been up before you. I beat you. Right. You know what I mean? So how do these? Let's let's turn all of this around, right? We got the, we got the timeline, right? Yeah, yeah. So all of these phases have led. How did, how did you turn it around? So so part of, it's people, right? A, a brother, I won't say his name, but we were hanging out, and the first words he ever told me, and I love him to death. We could we could fight, we could we could do whatever he and I. We could have we could have fun, but I love him to death. All I would do anything for him, and he said, "You're a winner." You just got to be in a position to win and be around other winners. Say it again. You're a winner. You're a winner. You just got to be around other winners and be in a position to win. But that that, that last part is the crucial part because you can hang out you can we, hang out with winners all day all long. Day, but if you're not in a position to win, you got to be. And so you, it, it, life sometimes is about position. You right. know, you might need you might need uh, boxing out. You you boxing out. Right. It's about position. The wing. You got to look. I'm I'm a shooter. I will shoot the ball. Right. I don't play defense. People would say Mike is <laughs> not a good defender. My high school coaches tell you that. I became a better defender in college. Right. But I don't play defense. I'm a scorer. Life's about playing offense. Go out and score the damn ball. Tell the story, win. man. You right. don't win the game by playing defense. You win the game by scoring buckets. Kobe, Mamba mentality is about go score. Wow. Go are, score. Are you Shoot. hearing this? Go are, score. Are, are y'all hearing this? Don't play, don't play right. offense in this world. Don't play offense. Don't play offense. So go that, score. Right. It sounded like, but uh, I'm just making this assumption. Yeah. You, you know my psychologist. Go right? ahead. Right. It sounded like you were playing defense, mm-hmm. right? And then your boy said, "You're a winner. You're a winner. You need to be around other winners. You need to be around other winners. You need to be in a position to win. And you need to be a position to win, right? And, and that means you're gonna need some picks. You're gonna need you're gonna, right? need, a, you're gonna need a ball screen. You need a back screen. Right. You're gonna right. need you're an gonna AI weed. cut. You're gonna need you, something. You're gonna need you're gonna need a double down. You, you may need a Duke cut. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not even I'm, a Duke fan, but my man Kevin, come on, come on, he's I'm a Duke a, guy. He's watching the live feed, you know so I'm saying? so left for him. You might need a Duke cut. Come right. off it. And you know what I'm saying? That, that Princeton back door. That Princeton back door, because sometimes they typically over you when you play They're defense, overplay. you overplay. Right. You overplay, you overread. So you got two basketball heads in here, right? You see now. what I'm saying? So you but, so look, and so check it, y'all. So now I'm on my mom's couch in in, in a graduate school program, right? And I got about Maybe I got a negative $16 bank account balance and um, I got a $20 bill in my pocket. Right. And I, I went and go buy some like, like a little pizza out of Walmart or something for eat to eat for dinner. And then after that, I went out and bought my first book. Right. So, you know, when you're in college, you I think the first book I ever read was like some the diary of Annie Frank when I was in like right. elementary, something like that. Right. <laughs> diary of Anne Frank. Anne Frank. And then, you know, you go to college, and you do your course curriculum and all that stuff and you get your degree. But then after that. Right. I stopped. Like being a student. So what happened was during this time I became a student of life, and I, I I believe in lifelong learning. Right. So what happened was this brother said, "You're a winner. You got to be around other winners, and you're in a position to win." So what I did was he he gave me a book to go out and read. Uh, Thinking for a change by John C. Maxwell. Thinking for a change by John C. Maxwell. And he's a, he's a he's a leadership coach. He's a leadership coach. He's a renowned leadership coach. Exactly. You grab any book by John right. C. Maxwell, exactly. and you could get a nugget out of it, or two or three. Right. And I go and read this book by John C. Maxwell, and I think I wrote down in the book. It's like very action oriented, and tell you like some people that's successful thinking, that's creative thinking, and strategic, and just going through it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend time thinking about myself and where I'm at in my life. I said, I'm going to think, I'm going to think about myself and what I got going on. And then I think I wrote a little note in the book, and I still have it to this day. 
um, I wrote something like, I want to read more. And then after that, I went and bought um, Failing Forward by John C. Maxwell. Right. And he said, you got to get a new definition for failure. Right? Whoa. Wait, wait. A new definition of failure. What does that mean? You got to get a new definition for failure. Basically, sometimes people see failure as like as the end all, be all, period. It's over, done with. End. Hold on, not. I'm gonna put a pause right there Go ahead. for you because TD Jake said when I when I got to when I got to sit and listen to him in person, he said, yeah. right, I will never put a period, you know, where God put a comma, huh? Preach. You know what I'm saying? I'm with you. So it goes right into what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You have to have a new definition of failure. A new definition of failure. It is not the end. It's not the end. And so for me, my definition of failure became that was an opportunity to learn. Wow. That was an opportunity to learn, right? And with, so many of us. Many of us, Ruff, uh-huh. think that I don't get this job, right? It's not for you. I don't, it's okay. I, I don't hear from these people, right? Okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know what I'm saying? Because I practice yoga, right? That's my, what? That's my, man, that's my, that's my thing, Okay. Right? And the the one thing about yoga, and I said it, is practice, uh-huh. right? Practice. Practice. <laughs> practice. practice. Right? We're talking about practice. But we're talking about practice, practice right? Right. But that's the thing. I have to realize that. And I, I just got back on the job. Like I've been an entrepreneur doing yeah. my thing very, you know, and my company has done very, very well. Yeah. But I said, you know, it's time for me to get back. Uh huh. And it has been, it has been challenging. Yeah. But what I had to re- remember, and my coach who was just on the line, he mm-hmm. said, it is a practice. That's all. Right. You're going to learn mm-hmm. from every opportunity, from everyone, every failure. Everyone. And, and, and embracing failure, right? Like, you know, we'd be so, we, we're so afraid to take a step. We're so afraid to say, I, I kind of think that's for me, but I'm really not sure. And sometimes we need like validation from like one of our friends, or our colleagues, or our counterparts, rather than saying, you know what? I'm going to just go ahead after it. Right. But that recalls, you say practice. So for me, it's about, uh, prepping, preparation, right? So, um, looking at where I wanted to go, right? So I knew, my mom, my mom raised me tough, man. Like my mom, ooh, those Saturday mornings, man. My mom would bait you and she'll cook you breakfast and go put you <laughs> in the backyard and like go pull the weeds because we couldn't afford a lawnmower or a weed eater, right? So that's the way we cut the grass. We pulled the weeds. We wow. pulled, we pulled it, right? And she said, you know, I'm not raising a boy, I'm raising a man. And she gave this random, like I don't know what it meant till this day. She said, you, you won't be a regular guy. So I knew for a fact I wouldn't go just be a regular guy. Wouldn't go just work a nine to five. I knew I wasn't just gonna just be. Wake up one day and this is my life. I knew that I wanted to do something in business. I didn't know what the business would look like. I knew I wanted to serve my community and make an impact. I didn't know what it looked like. I knew I wanted to just change my family's narrative. Right. Right. So tell the story, brother. I just wanted to change my family's narrative. Like my last name. My name means everything to me. I remember at one time, young, arrogant, Michael, um, whatever, whatever people. Michael with the jump shot. Michael with the jump shot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what nobody say about me. I don't care. But your reputation is important. Right. It's your your name, card. Your name matters. Right. Your name. Well, we, we pride ourselves in this city, the city of New Orleans, on, on family names. Family names. Street names. And where you went to high school. And where you went to high school at. You know. Right. And so for me, it was like, okay, like my name means something. It means something to me about what goes after it. Right. I, I knew I wanted to be some type of business executive. I knew I wanted to do something big. I knew I wanted to make something happen. I just had to be very intentional about how I govern myself and what I did every day right. and what that preparation looked like. So going back to about the books, right, I became so obsessed with learning and reading, learning and like reading and learning, reading and applying the knowledge that I've read and applying the things that the books give you. Right. You can open a book right now. Somebody can read a book, you know, and take it and not apply the principles. But it's putting it in practice, Put it in practice. And writing it down. People don't believe that when you write things down and you put it into the universe and you read it every day uh, in silence, right? And you read it all day the, before you go to bed at night and aloud and you put it on your mirror and you put it on your door, you put it on your vision board and you look at it every day. Those so things so come to those fruition. Those fruition, right? I'm and not lying. Some of the most prominent people I know, you know, and that, right. we, that we both know, right. Oprah, Steve Hart, vision boards. Yeah. Right. I believe in them like my life. Vision, on. You know, and, and we did a vision board for the men out in St. Rock. Yeah. You know, and that's and, my that's and, my neighborhood, too, yeah, by the way. And and put it up for people to, for them to be able to see. And like I asked one of the brothers the other night, I said, where's your vision board? Hmm. Right. He said, it's in my bathroom. Hmm. He's he, like, but he, I'm all, he, it's the first thing that I see every morning. Mm-hmm. Right. So I get to start my day seeing. And he's like, I got my own, you know, my girls and my wife have their bathroom. Yeah. But I have my own bathroom. Yeah. And I go in there and there's my vision board. There you go. Right. And, 
And, right. and I'm with you on that. And so for me, it was like we all got our we all have our favorite texts and, and things that we quotes and stuff that we live by. Right. And I think what I realized from reading so much is that I, I begin to soak up so much. Right. And as and as I started to read more, every like everything came back into me, it came into me. And then I looked at my definiteness of purpose statement. Anybody is if you know me, I will tell you in a heartbeat, there's two books you should read. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Outwitting, I haven't heard that one. Oh, brother, you're dropping, you're dropping Ooh, everything. Man, today. It's a, it's about a conversation with yourself, right? Um, you're, you're earthbound and a devil, and the devil says, uh, "You will refer to me as your Majesty." And the book goes, "Why do you deserve such right and such privilege?" He says, "Well, because I control 99.9 percent of the world's population with envy, greed, hate." Jealousy, self-doubt, lack of purpose, hypnotic repetition. Wow. And so when I was like, okay, okay, okay. It's called what? Outwitting the devil. By Outwitting the devil. Outwitting the devil. You are killing us today, brother. And so, you know, when I got those in my system, right, and if you read Think and Grow Rich, it says rule one, desire, right? Then after that, it's a couple 13, 8, 9 principles. You say you write down your definition and purpose statement. My statement went from a paragraph to two to a full page. Now it's five pages. Right. And every day I'm reading, every day I'm adding to it. Right. Every day I'm making it because it's a living, breathing document. It's an organism. And if the more you write and invest into it, the more it will come back to you in the universe. Right. Brother, y'all, you have told your story today. I did. Really? You told your story. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And look, this is a first for me. I don't hey, normally man, do this. You you have know, done, I get you a lot have, of calls, texts, man. But you look. have done amazing today. Hey, told man. You, look, from ninth grade reading level, entering uh-huh. college, to being a successful businessman today. Uh-huh. Right? You know? Brother, it, it, it has been amazing to have it's you on the show, man. man. It's Y'all been a pleasure, man. You've been listening to the Western Revolution Show with Dr. Charles Corpru, my guest today, Marvin Chambers, and the incomparable Michael J. Ruff of New Orleans native, my homie. We appreciate it, everyone. We will see you next week. Enjoy yourself and to be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life, Western Revolution. Peace, everybody. Generations of good people and cycles of poverty. It bothers me, so I ask myself, I say, How you doing as much as you can?